go serious first. Give me your most difficult time either in life or let's go with military. Like <laughs> a, a stage in the military that was just difficult that you had to kind of persevere. You had to go through, you had to take the recon creed and really like perseverance through adversity. Here I am. Pain, misery, and suffering. Let's do it. I think for me. At least one that you can talk about. Yeah, I think one for me was our 06 tour. As 2006. A, as a leader? As a leader. Yeah, because, again, we had such a the, – the battalion as a whole, as well as our company, did phenomenal things out there. Yeah. You know, they, they took out some serious bad guys. But the, well, just what our platoon alone did in Mount yeah. Karma was amazing. That's we'll, what I'm saying. I would love, love to talk about that later. Yeah, but you know, so we had a – From your point of view. Yeah, so – it, it, the tough part was giving everybody else console with everybody else and big Johnson yeah, was probably the worst part of my career as a leader was that day that he passed. Yeah. Because we got back and then, you know, everybody went to have a vigil there at the mm -hmm. surgical, which I was not a fan for at all. No, it was, it was I, you know, it's like this, I think this is too impersonal for me. Mm -hmm. the, the individual did great things in his life, his career within the Marine Corps. And then we had this, I had a platoon. Well, I had two people who were just, we want to do this, we want to do this. And I said, I, I, I'm, not, I'm against this. But mm -hmm. I looked at reality and said, you know what, this is what these guys need to do to have some kind of, I don't know, solitude saying, hey, they've, they've, they've said their goodbyes properly, yeah. is to me. But then coming back and then, you know, hearing the guys in the team room and everything, kind of what they were saying, and I was having the same problem with it. But I couldn't talk to nobody about it. Yeah. So for me, that was probably my lowest point in my career. But my second trip was probably my highest point in my career. One being a mass sergeant with the, as the ops chief for the battalion. And then two, we, I bitched loud enough and we got the jump. So for me on a personal and professional level, yeah. that was my I remember highlight. Hearing, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, you know, I got blasted from people in the States. We're out there jumping. They're like, oh, we've been doing that for years. But have you done it consistently? Have you jumped in Iraq and actually trained jumping in Iraq? Yeah. No, you haven't. Yeah. We did. We were running. Hell, we ran... 12 10-day packages while we were in Iraq. 12. Damn. We had no injuries. The only injury we had was a kid who sprained his ankle jumping off the freaking seven-ton. <laughs> Once you got back to battalion and unloot shoots. That's the only injury we had throughout the entire Everybody's place. like, wait a minute, this happened? No, this happened. Yeah. No. And the good thing, too, we had all the Marines that were silver lead, silver uh, shield guys were all gold wings by the time we left. In um, Iraq? In Iraq. Uh, that's cool. That's how many jumps we did. We did uh, 1,123 individual jumps. Wow. Yeah, so for me, that was my high point. So the two combat tours were my lowest point in my career and my highest point in my career. Wow. I mean, I, I would never change my career for what I did. I mean, it was, I was fortunate. I always thought we could have jumped. Do you remember when we, we killed all those guys at the uh, ASP? Yeah. My platoon. I was like, man, we could have jumped into that one. That was, a, that was an easy jump in. And that's the thing, we too. Wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to land birds. In no. that desert. That's the whole thing is yeah. our first two trips, when I got over there as the battalion ops chief, we lost two vehicles, IEDs. Thank yeah. God we didn't lose anybody, but we yeah. lost two vehicles. And I was in the gym running with Sergeant Major Pickering. So me and Ken were running. I was pissed. I'm like, ah. And this taller gentleman next to me is like, you know, hey, Marine, what's going on? I said, ah, this, this command here is just weak. They're a bunch of pussies. They don't want us to do anything. They're afraid of someone's getting hurt. But, yeah, I'll send these guys out, get blown up, and get shot. I said, because when we – I said, I have over $2 million worth of parachutes in my possession right now here in Iraq, and I can't use them. Oh, so uh, we get called over to the RCT, and I'm sitting there, and I'm arguing with the master guns there. He was a weak sister. He just didn't have the, the cojones. He wouldn't stand up to anybody, so I did. Next thing I know, this 
big tall gentleman who was standing next to me on the treadmill the day before general mills the two-star that's who the guy was yeah and i was thinking myself my throat kind of just like oh, yeah like, oh shit <laughs> yeah, like, damn. so tell the, tell everybody what you want to do i said i want to jump and the first thing they say to me like it's impossible i'm like nothing's impossible I said, if you're going to give me no, it's a reason to not work. That's what you're telling me no for, because you don't want to do this. So you said work. that back then. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, uh, well, well, tell us how we can do this. I said, I do a 10 day program. We have the MMPS that yeah, just yeah. came out. Uh, I said, so we can use these parachutes in different configurations to get everybody to 18,000 feet that are static line qualified. I can yeah. double bag them at 18,000. Yeah. There's no way, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, let me know. Well, the air officer will not let you do this. The blue guy yeah. that's over on the outside. Who is he? Oh, uh, it's some colonel over there. Okay. How do I, someone's having a meeting with me. If I can get yeah, him yeah. to approve it, will you allow me to jump? General Mills said, if you can get him to approve it, you can jump. Me and Ron Neal flew to outside, get in the tower where the blue guy sits. We're talking to this gunny. And I said, hey, the colonel will be here in a second. It was a lieutenant colonel at the time, though. He wasn't a colonel. So me and Ron are talking, shooting the shit. And I hear, uh, what, do you, what do you Marines want to do? And I turn around, it's Kevin Corporan. Him and I were second recon battalion together in the same platoon for four years. We were workout buddies. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, dude. He, his first words, Stu, what do you want to do? I said, I want to jump. He says, okay, how are we going to do it? And I laid it all out for him. He said, done. Went back and told the RCT that Colonel Corporan said it was okay. There, there's no way. He said no to everybody else. And I asked Kevin later on, I said about it. So why did you say no to everybody else? Because no one came in with a plan. They said they wanted to jump. With nothing else. Yeah. Okay, show me your ORM. Show me how you're going to do this, yeah. how you can conduct this training. And I gave him a five-page PowerPoint brief that had everything lined out to include our schedule, what we want to do with C-130s. And from then on, we just jumped. I mean, it's, it's no different. You, would, you were doing that before in the battalion with everybody. Yes. Well, the whole thing is that no one wants to ask that hard question. If you say, well, can I do this? Well, no. Okay, no is not an answer. It's why? an excuse not to do shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why is no your answer? Well, because I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, right. I don't know. I don't know why I'm telling you now. You're an old guy. I've been in the Marine Corps a long time. Yeah, I guess so. That's why they call me the gray beard. <laughs> so. And Johnny Slick. Give me a really funny story. And like, cause you, you were post, you were pre-war. Yeah. You guys did a lot of fun shit back in the day. We did. Like you were running, you were the, the crew running around with like MP5s and with uh, taped uh, flashlights to the front yeah, of the silencer. Yeah. <laughs> Rears tape you guys were doing like SWAT shit back mm -hmm. in the day, you know? Well, it's funny thing is you say that because when I got the 2nd Recon Battalion, I didn't go to ARS right away. Um, there was other contingencies. So we got picked up for a contingency that 2nd Force couldn't do. This was in 1988. So we did a trial piece. It was 63 guys got together. And we went yeah. out and we had a shoot and we jumped and we did all this other stuff to get picked for this platoon to go do Prey and Manus. Okay. Go plot out in the mid. It's all new to us. We're wearing, you know, flight suits and point blank gear and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. You know, we thought we were all that in a bag of chips. And I'm like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> we're, we're recon boys. Remember then it was JV for recon. Right. The varsity was forced recon. Right. That's so, why. So that's why I was pissed when I had to go to, because uh, I was at, I came into second force. Yeah. And Mike McAvoy sent me to, <laughs> sent me to second. Yeah. And that's how I got into recon. Yeah. And then I went out, I got orders at third recon. I was like, what the fuck? I'm a sergeant. Why are you sending me a JV, JV squad? And I'm that. telling you right now, 3rd Recon Battalion is the hidden gem within it's the Marine It's a fucking hidden gem. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Without a doubt. Yeah. If you can patrol and, in the places and, like and that. And do all the yep. direct action. I was like, the guys that come out of, like, the Recon Marines that come out of 3rd, 
cut above I agree. everybody else. And I've been you know, on the East Coast, both the force and the battalion side, and I know guys from the battalion and force side of the West Coast, and there's no no reconnaissance element that trains as hard as they do or we did. That's all you do. That's all you because that's all you had is time. That's all you had, yeah. You know, if you weren't in the Philippines or Thailand training or teaching, you were in Guam doing mm -hmm. um, your or you were up in the jungle. Stuff. Yeah, and yeah. NTA. If you can patrol an NTA, you can patrol anywhere in the world. Yeah. I don't give a shit anyways. Because it's hard to walk in some place where it's broad daylight at noon and you get in that triple canopy and you're like, shit, I need MPGs right now. <laughs> yeah. It's only 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And people don't. Excuse me. People don't understand that. Yeah. It's just that they they're more well well rounded yeah. Marines than they are in the other battalions. And they come back and they can do just about anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think for us that we did a great job. I know when I was in Okinawa, how like Fifth Force before they disband, how well those guys they could patrol, they could swim, they could shoot, they could jump, they yeah. they could do it all. Yeah. Jack of all trades, master of none. That's right? what we're supposed to be. Yeah. So yeah. at the end of the day, I think where they were at and where we're at now. I mean, that's what, with Marsock. I'm, I'm, I still have a little discontent because you can't start an elite unit with elite shitheads. Well, it's and, been fixed. Yes, it has been. Whatever. The first year I was there, I didn't drink the Kool Aid. I was there to disband Marsock. I was there I to remember, destroy it. I remember you, you even told me that. You're yeah. like, I'm here to fuck this place up. Yeah, I'm here to destroy it. I'm here to take this <laughs> common sense, whatever they want to call this shit. These guys that are shitheads that were most battalions that are now a Marsock Marine and walk around like, peacocks or chest out no dude because that ain't happening i'm putting your fucking feathers back and i'll sit you in your ass because you're not playing yeah you suck but yeah again today i mean the, the marines over at marsock they're phenomenal kids well i mean they're when smart. they when they took you know set i mean it, it was it was painful for the reconnaissance we fucked the reconnaissance community over yeah. like we, we raped just them. raped them because you took first and first and second force and made them basically first and second raider battalion now that's what really helped it was the first initial thing that helped. Yeah, once we got the MOS, I think yeah. that's where we got better. And then, yeah. I think, too, with that, I was in disagreement initially about everybody getting a badge after graduating ITC because the badges, to me, associate to insert capabilities or what yeah. you do. And then I had to get smart yeah. and realize, like, well, you're a dumbass, dude. I said, this is a, this is a badge saying that you're in this unit. It has yeah. nothing to do with your jump and your dive and your language. Oh, it's your MOS. Right. Like an EOD badge. Exactly. Counts. So, I mean, I was. But you got to look at it from, you know, you got to look at it from your peers, right? Yeah. Like our peers, our peers were SEALs and Green Berets and, you know, I think there's some other people out there in the Air Force. I'm not sure what they do. CTTs and PJs. I'm just like giving them shit. <laughs> That's where I'd go if I were to do it again. <laughs> Dude, don't talk. Yeah. Talk about like getting taken care of. Oh, yeah. Those boys are spoiled. He's I love the, you, but you're yeah, spoiled. You're, yeah, what, and they're good at it. Because in Okinawa, I used yeah. to travel with the uh, CTT guys or the PJs to the Philippines of Thailand. Oh, yeah, train. yeah. yeah. So I we had, a, we had them on our teams at, yeah. in, uh, up in Afghanistan. Came through I mean, a lot. I mean, there's a lot of good dudes. If you look at back in the early 90s, 94, 95, 96 time frame, a lot of the CCTs and PJs that were in the Air Force were our guys from force that got out of the Marine Corps. Yeah. And it went, that's the direction they went. Kinder, gentler. More money, better facilities, better gear. Get if, taken care of. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you woke up in the morning like, hey, uh, make sure that you clean over in that corner there because your maid's in your house now. Yeah. And the person's supposed to iron and your and clothes. I, and two sugars with my espresso. Yes. Two sugars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody makes fun of the Air Force, but I'll tell you what, they do it right. Yeah, they do. I don't do. give a shit what anybody says. They serve our country, and they do it right. They take care of their people. I mean, if my kids say, like, I want to join the military, I'm like, Let's go look at the Air Force. Yes. Let's go look at the Air Force. Because you're doing the same. If anything, the, like the, the PJs yeah. and the CCT guys are doing the same shit we're doing more consistently. Yeah. 
you know, where we have our, our bouts, you know, I tell everybody, we, we get in a conflict like every eight to 10 years. Yeah. That's how the Marine Corps runs. But those guys are doing it continuously. Because they, so the, they're supporting everybody. Yeah. yeah. And they do very, they're Anyways, very solid. Going back to the 80s and the early 90s, tell me some, give me some history lessons too. What's the shit, what kind of shit went back down back then? Well, prior to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, you know, obviously we did the Mediterranean floats and stuff. I don't have to share everything. There's some things that probably don't need to be shared. We'll share this one because it was a, a national incident, but uh international incident. So we were on a med float. Barry Elrod, Mike Muller, and uh-huh. Mike Seeley were my, my team. Um, and we were in Lisbon, Portugal. On Libo. We were supposed to be there for five days. So my team got the the privilege of being on duty the first night in port. Within two hours of everybody being out doing their thing, we've been on the water probably about 30, 35 days. We haven't seen a port. What year there? is this? 1989. Holy shit. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. We're like, what the fuck's going on? So we go out and appear. We're in Charlie's because we're mm-hmm. on duty with boots and billy clubs because all of a sudden there's a national Charlie's and boots? Yeah, we were in Charlie's standing the, the gangplank. Okay. But all of a sudden this riot came out, the cops against us. So we went back. I told my guys, hey, go back, put fucking shoes, put your boots on. We're going out and whoop some ass. <laughs> so we're out there in our duty belts, our, our Charlie's on, our ribbons and everything, and billy clubs. And we actually got in a no-shit throwdown fight with the cops there because Canadians threw a motorcycle into their the water fountain in the middle of town of Lisbon, Portugal, uh, and destroyed it. They blamed it on us. So our guys were getting shot with rubber bullets, kicked in the nuts. I mean, to the point of this guy, Erickson, got kicked so hard he was bleeding when he was oh, urinating. That's shit. how bad it was. So there's over 200 Marines and sailors that were injured in this riot, if you want to call it that. Our ship's captain, the meds, our, basically our battalion, the, the med, the MUCO was in jail. To include both the uh, religious people were in jail, plus another 40 people. So basically that night, people were coming on the gangplank, bleeding from their face. They had big old welts and all that stuff. People going to the hospital. There was like 400 people total off our boat that were either in jail or were injured in Lisbon, Portugal. Oh, shit. The Canadians were parked right behind us on our Harrier boat. Uh-huh. So when it all broke out, those bitches loaded, no tow, no nothing, and pulled the hell out of port. No, of <laughs> course just, they did. I mean, they had no guide boats, pilot boats at all. Packed that shit up, pulled them out, and they were gone. Everybody. Everybody. So it's like, and we got put in lockdown for another day or two, but it was an international incident. It was bad. How did it wash out? Uh, they found out the Canadians are the ones that threw the bike through the, the window and into that pond. It wasn't us. Oh, oh my, my bad. bad. Yeah. I'm, oh, we're sorry. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> she got these guys got these big ass rubber ball melts. Like Erickson. Dude, luckily, he, nobody died. died. We were shocked. We had a kid, Ritterbeck, came in. He had 28 stitches put in his head. He got Damn. hit with a billy club while he was out there. And he came back. The only reason he came back is he wanted to get another billy club or something bigger to go back out and start whooping some ass. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you, you go see the doc, man. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the things I thought was probably the funniest float I've ever been on. What the hell did the Mew commander say after that? He was in jail. I mean, after when he got out. Hey, watch your P's and Q's. I mean, <laughs> the thing was that no one knew what actually happened. There was, we didn't know shit for the first three days. Why actually did this event happen? And finally the CEO of the boat came on and said, hey, this, this, and this, and this is why. Uh, and I totally understood it. I get it. We're in somebody else's country. Yeah. We're throwing shit through windows and destroying our damn little neighborhood in Lisbon. Oh, my God. Beautiful country. And the women... Thank God I was single then. We're gorgeous. They're dark hair, blue eyes. They had a light skin to them. Oh, uh-huh. oh my God. I'll shut up now. My yeah. wife will get mad at me. But, I mean, we, it was just a, a beautiful country, and we were in there screwing it up. 
you know, so well, well, the Canadians were, yeah, yeah, no, it, but it's, it's the funny part was the Canadians were on the, on the, the pier kind of bringing people in and helping them triage. Yeah. And we're watching this boat, these people running onto this boat and all of a sudden it's just picking up anchor and it's gone. I was like, so you need a pilot boat to get, cause it was, a, it wasn't a big yeah, yeah. Uh, port we were in. Yeah. They get pushed out and nah, they were like, we're oh, out. Fuck it. I got this. It's a night. It's like midnight and they're out. They're gone. They're pulling out of port. So, and then we found out what the actual thing, I, I say, you know, I don't blame these people. I don't. Let's see. What's a uh, Saudi was a good one. Dead show, dead of storm. Everybody thought it was this holy shit war. It wasn't, it was maybe 24 hours, maybe 36 total. I sometimes feel bad because I get these vets like, well, I was a desert storm, desert shield. And I was like, and, and from my point of view, I'm like, yeah. I understand that you did something. I have had patrols in combat last longer than your entire war yes 110 percent like yes. one patrol last has lasted longer than your entire war it, it comes down to where i you know the old guys say well in my day we did this and you got the young guys going well in my day we did this why would you do that then <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking dumb you know like why do you got a gas mask on and a, a sling rope around your neck running the dunes for what what's the purpose for that to harden you up to make you harder you're going do shit. it's not making me hard i'm busy getting <laughs> shot at it's pissing me <laughs> off but you know exactly because each conflict no one can ever compare any conflict we've been in to vietnam we just that's what i say it, it, even still to this day yeah. i'm like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm as not. much of the throw down stuff that the only thing i say about vietnam is is yes it was drafted most guys did one tour yeah i wonder why right and yeah. then we're sending that my only comparison is you look at the damage that a guy going to Vietnam did in one tour at Vietnam and we're sending it not anymore, obviously, but during my era, we were sending guys upwards of how many times? Yeah. You know what I mean? Countless. Right. So that's the, that's my only comparison is like draft one tour, all volunteer service. I mean, before T before T died, I mean, he, I think he was at like eight or nine or something like that. Yeah. So, and that's the thing too. You got to look at that back then too. Is if you wanted to stay another tour, you got you could stay, but it was an administrative piece. The first couple months, you were back on your second tour in Vietnam. Yeah. It, it just it is what what it was. They didn't know who their enemy was. That's right. the problem. We at least had an identifier. Hey, if you're wearing a tracksuit or driving an Opal, I can fuck you up. <laughs> Which our guys did. You know, yeah. it's like, well, how did you do that? That's part of the ROEs. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I still think the Vietnam era guys. I I love you to death. I I praise you with still all part of my body. And so we screwed you and we're still screwing you. Yeah. You know, the th fortunately is the guys like yourself that are now come out saying, Hey, there's a problem. Yeah. And then providing a solution to that problem. They didn't do it in the Vietnam era. You know, my dad, who's 78 now. Yeah. 78 Vietnam. Did a tour is nasty. He got shot six times. I'm like, dude, if you got shot once, like, you think you want to move so you don't get shot the second time? Like, you guys, fuck you. But anyway, you know, those my, guys. In my grandfather did one. He got drafted in Korea, two tours in Vietnam as a paratrooper and uh, died at 67, basically old age. Well, it's weird you say that because my father has stage four lung cancer. Now, he's terminal, right? When yeah. you hear, see your st hear stage four lung cancer, hey, your stuff's went in your lymph nodes. You're dead. Yeah. That's it. It's a matter of time. Not my fucking dad. He goes and gets two th treatments of chemotherapy and then two treatments of immune therapy. His lung spot that he had was 7.4 centimeters is now 4.3. I said, you're so ornery and miserable that death doesn't want your ass. That's how bad you are. But that's a Vietnam. That's how ass. much of a pain in the ass you are. Yeah. Death's like, I nah, mean, he's too much. 
And he goes, oh, that's not why. I said, you're the only guy. He had it in his lymph notes. Yeah. It's gone. That's wild. I was like, so you're telling me that the man upstairs doesn't want your dumb ass. He's just saying, hey, we're going to leave you down here until you. As long as possible. Because I don't want your ass up here. It's a, it's a different level of grit for sure. Those guys are harder than woodpecker lips. I mean, that, you talk, we talk about you guys being hard back then. Like yeah. they had the shit that their equipment that they had in the care, like even in the, like the reconnaissance communities and oh, the stuff. Yeah. I'm like, what one canteen f- for three days. What the fuck? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'd have died. <laughs> yeah. I'm just sucking up my, my, my IV bags, which I'd done that before. Yeah. Uh, it's out of control. That's a good story. We're in uh, I was a second force. We're in uh, Tunisia and we're doing a, an op and we had to get up this big ass hill. We had three days to get there. It was 22 clicks total. So a buddy of mine, Tommy Stafford, who went on to do great things with, uh, with one of the other groups agencies. So we're, we're walking we ran out of water the like, second day. It was hot as fuck. Yeah. We all went out with 10 quarts. So we got to the top of the hill. I think I had a quart left. Holy shit. And I think Matt V had a quart left in a day. This is our second day. Second day. Second day. We had a quart left. So we say, okay, we're almost at our objective. Let's get the objective. Let's get up there. We'll set up and get a resupply in. So we get up there. The resupply is going to come in 11 hours. We have one quart of water left for the four of us. And you're already dehydrated. We're dying. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we're all definitely no shit into that piece of your, your, yeah, your dad. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I say, okay, we all have IV bags. We carry, everybody carry two bags with two needles. I said, all right, let's get the IVs out. Let's start to sticking people. I hit Tommy Stafford, you know, got his two bags in. And he tries to hit me with my two needles. He could not. He, I'm like, dude, give me that fucking thing. Let me do it myself for Christ's sake. So I'm using the same needle trying to get it in my veins. Oh, man. <clears throat> it got to the point where we just couldn't do it because I was so dehydrated. Nothing nothing to stick there. I take both uh, IV bags and pour my two-core canteen, put some orange drink into it. Oh, you drank it? I drank the whole thing. Was it LR or saline? Saline. Oh. And it tasted like ass. The worst thing I've ever drank in my life, but I had to do it to survive. Again, things you have to do yeah. just to do it. Normally, I'd say, oh, fuck that. Let me get a bottle of water, you know? But yeah. then you couldn't. It was just funny because we're all sitting there with IV bags except for Stu with a two-quart canteen. <laughs> well, well. Tommy's like, hey, my bag's out. Yeah, you fucker. Yeah, you change the bag. <laughs> out more, you fuck. Yeah. But, I mean, that's the things you went, you went through. It was no big deal. Yeah. You know, but you tell somebody that story, and they're kind of like, what? Yeah, I mean, it's, I had to do something to survive. If not, that's the way went, it goes. Yeah, I'd have went down for dehydration. What'd you do during, um, like, where were you at in your career during Desert Shield, Desert Storm, when you were over there? I was a corporal. I was. I just got orders to go to Second Force, but they didn't. They wouldn't let me execute them until uh, we got back from Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So I went over. Literally went over there as the the company supply guy is what my job was. So I had my team that was still there, and then Kevin Corp and his team. So we were the headquarters team. So there was eight of us. And that's what we did over there. So what did you guys do? Um, we did OP5. So we did all the, all the RNS stuff prior to the breach. So we're the 2nd Recon Battalion or s- did all the, the drawings for the breach points. So okay. all the breach points that the Marine Corps went through off of OP5, mm-hmm. we did all those drawings. So we did all the RNS for that. We actually, once we pushed through the, uh, the breach point, we moved up to the, what they call the onion field because mm-hmm. they're getting ready for this big thing, the highway of death. Yeah. They put us out. In the onion field by a six ring highway. Yeah. We watched the B 52s come over. And you talk about an amazing thing in life. You just sit there going, <laughs> you're looking up at the sky going, holy shit. And then it just opens up. You just see these arcs, flashes all over the place. And the next day, we actually drove to the highway to help the Brits. I don't know what we're doing. We're out there picking up, I don't know. But there was 
between the vehicles and the people that were over there. You could just see the destruction that this stuff laid out. But there was toys and stuffed animals and food. and I mean, it was just for miles. That's what it was. You know, I, we ran over. I was driving a Humvee, and I kind of was maneuvering through, and all of a sudden I saw a stink come up out of the sand. And I was like, what the fuck is that? It was somebody's hand. So I ran over a guy that was underneath the sand, and his, his hand, hand popped up. Yeah. I was like, this is weird. Take a picture. That was your like, pretty much first experience to that yeah. kind of world. Yeah. yeah. To basically go through that, I mean, we, didn't, we had the, obviously, uh, Michael Cook uh, died over there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know that you saw the memorials. But he was the only one. That was just something that was just no one could control. Yeah. You know, it, it, they were missing a grenade. Uh, they found it, and when he pulled his deuce gear out, uh, it went off. Yeah. You know, and there was, it's amazing that, he was the only one that was killed during that. You had Woody Gerard and Owens who got peppered about 25 feet in front of where he was. And then a sergeant that was down our patrol line, because everybody had their vehicles when they came back yeah. from patrol, got hit with a piece of strap on the side and went through his back. That was a, um, I remember when we coming into reconnaissance, that was like a big lesson Huge. that was still talked about and the reasons why we had SOPs and the reasons why, and they use that. Yeah. Honestly, I probably, as sad as that was, it probably saved an assload of lives. Saved an assload of lives. The the t like the way that they would strap those things on back then compared to oh, what we do yeah. it now is like <laughs> well. The thing too, we didn't know. Yeah, you know, you had some guys are still that were around from the Vietnam era. Not many. Uh, Sergeant Major Duke, who's a legend in his own. I'm gonna eventually get him on my podcast to talk. He's to still him. alive. Yeah, oh, he's doing well. Him and his wife are doing well. He's just a. I mean, he, when he came to as a staff sergeant, he was a captain in the Army, yeah. was asked to leave for certain reasons. But his certain reasons were, were valid. Yeah. So he came to Marine Corps as a staff sergeant. And once he got to us, he got around to who this cat was. Yeah. And you kind of, like, you bowed to him when you saw him. Hey, sir. Well, then, say staff sergeant. So I took him out on a patrol with me to teach me E&R, well, E&E stuff yeah. then, E&R now. And that guy had a dog, and they would, he would sneak up in our ORP. We never hear him. He'd be sitting there with his freaking dog, and we're going through. No, you don't want to do that. Be like, what? Where did, where did you come from? Uh, I'll catch you. Then they leave. <laughs> and a couple hours later, you're, you're in your middle of your patrol. You're setting up your harbor site and looking for places who your avenue approaching the egress. He goes, Yeah, that's not good. How, how are you sneaking up with a dog? You're sneaking up with us in the bush over by the swamp behind uh, Falcon, where Falcon's at. Yeah. That's where we were doing our uh, Camp well, that, No Bone. Those woods are nothing to him. Yeah. yeah. I was like, what are we doing? But again, it's, you didn't know what you didn't know. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately for him and we keep his, his memory alive quite a bit. I mean, we make sure that he's got a street named after him now and he's yeah. got a few other things that his mom and dad done very well doing just like the Friskies. Yeah. You know, so they take good care of him. but our community still reaches out to those, those two individuals. Why is that? Because that's just the way we are. Yeah. You know, I don't know about today. Uh, I don't know what the new guys do, but you always made sure you kept up with the families. Like, Corporal Lee is a good example. Yeah. You know, it, tragic as that was, but his parents adopted his dog. Yeah. And, you know, I kept in contact with him for a while. I lost obviously over a couple of years, but yeah, it's just one of those things. Well, I mean, I mean, Gary's, Gary's spot in, in Texas is like damn near harbor site for, for recon Marines. Yeah. That place and that their little, it looks like a damn Texas camp, <laughs> but yeah, they're, that's, uh, I actually had, I rehad my, did you ever hear about this? My paddle from Okinawa? No. So I had my paddle party when I left Okinawa. 
And of course, these fuckers did it the night before, before. I left. Yeah. Like, I got a family. I got to get on a plane. And I don't even remember. Was it like 24 hours to get home or something like that? Yeah, it is 22 to 24 hours to yeah. get home. <laughs> yep. So I had a very traditional third recon paddle party the night before. Yep. And I had to basically, I got, I can't, I remember um, Lane and Tony Kano, Kano dropped me off in my van at the hotel as the sun's coming up. I'm completely soaking wet. My boots are soaked. Why is that? <laughs> it's just a traditional paddle party, isn't it? <laughs> Why is that? And they just open the door, chuck me out, <laughs> drive <laughs> off. And I remember stuffing newspapers in my my shoes, trying to get them to dry out so I, they wouldn't be wet on the plane because we had to basically, like, I had to get my whole family packed up and yeah, move them. And, and move them. And I'm like, I'm hammered. Uh, my wife at the time was just like, what the fuck? Wouldn't have it any other way, though. No. So, anyway, so anyways, they, they're going to send me my paddle, right? I right. can't take it on a plane. So they're going to pack it up and send it to me. Never shows up. Gone. Really? Ten years later, Stu, I get a call from Kano. That, hey, dude, you're not going to believe this. My mom has been living in this place for about a year. And your paddle just showed up to her house. Really? Bro, there have been rats crawling through this thing. There's stickers. There's Japanese stickers all over it. Holy Where shit. this paddle went, I have no idea. But it, it made it to the States to some random address of Kano's mom. No kidding. And so when we went out there and did Gary's, um, like, I don't, I mean, it might have been his 10-year memorial or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we did a memorial out there. Everybody showed, a lot of people showed up. And, um, anyways, they had fi- refixed it up and gave it to me then for the second time. But this time I was sober. I didn't drink a drop. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's probably one that hangs more memorable in your yeah. paddles than anyone else. I'm 10 years, man. It was gone. It's, that's weird. Wild, bro. But you got it, though. That's you what's weird it. about it. You got, got the it. thing eventually. I got the thing. Huh. And, uh, it was so freaking good. That was the one that, uh, Phil was pissed because that's the one he got with the chaplain. I don't remember the chaplain's name. Our chaplain in Iraq. Yeah, what the hell? He did the coffee, the coffee thing, the coffee shop for yeah. us. Oh, and he did it. He did it just so that guys would come in there and get coffee, so we could talk to him. Yep. Brilliant chaplain. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? But he, Phil, made that paddle. Like he made. He went out and with the chaplain and made that thing. and made it. That sounds like went, Phil. went to the. I mean, I was like, dude. I mean, I get choked up, but yeah. Yeah. What's weird you say that because paddles are very significant in right. our community. Very significant. Obviously, everybody in the Marine Corps gets one now because that's what they think is cool to do. But anyway, learn the history first. Anyway, besides that. <laughs> Your it, paddle sucks. Yeah. It's always <laughs> seemed like when I, when I was at Force was the worst because we used to spray paint them. Yeah. And do this. This guy out in town used to do them. And they were, the paddles, when I first got my paddle, my very first one was in 1991. I got mm-hmm. from second. It was a little sweep. Wasn't yeah. a full sweep, little sweep. I was like, oh, I was so proud of that thing. Like, yeah, this is great. I get the second force and I get this long sweep because I was a team leader, obviously. Yeah. And just the detail of things in there. And then yeah. I get the one from Third Reek. That's my shot, my my cherished piece is the one from Third Reek I'm telling you. It's all driftwood that's been glued together to make my paddle. You know, Damn. people the significance about paddles, another than the tradition, is the amount of people that put their hands on it. Yeah. That's when you know how much respect you had yeah. with those guys. And when they present, oh, yeah, there's 32 of us that put our hands on this. I'm like, God knows. You know, 
or what? What's the purpose for this? But just the thought process of those guys going through thank all you. that. Yeah, it's the thank you. I mean, it's the best paddle I have hanging on my wall. That's awesome. I mean, it's just one of those things. But again, Tudor, I wish people understood the tradition, why paddles are given out, especially in our community. And sizes and all yeah. the different behinds. The, yeah. yeah, short sweep, yeah. long sweep and stuff. Yeah. It, if people understood the tradition, maybe the paddles that are given out today would have different meaning. Yeah. Those outside of our unit. You know, so. The, the, the one I got from, um, I, I like, I mean, both of them, but I, on it, both of them are amazing. I only have, I have two. That Okinawa one, though, man, because of how much we did in that, in that amount of time. Yeah. You know, in three years, I went from an assistant team leader to a team leader to a platoon sergeant. And that was a lot. And that's yeah. what we talk, kind of talked about in Okinawa. Like, there's a lot of life that happens in Okinawa because how much you do and how fast you do it. I think, too, with that, you, you know who the true leaders are going to be when you're in Okinawa. Put them in certain positions. And yeah. you do it on purpose. Hey, I want to make you a team leader. And you put them out two or three patrols. And the guys come back, you ask questions. Okay, he just doesn't have the, what it takes. Yeah. Like for us, before we left, we had a platoon sergeant that stole all our shit while we were gone, that we had a fire, which never deployed. And then we had another platoon sergeant who had more, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, no, he's a piece of shit. I'm like, I'm looking for an issues. Word. Issues, yeah. That's a word. A, a man that comes into an office and cries to you because he can't deploy. He can't go to Iraq because it's against his feelings. He's, he has too much trauma. Dude, shut the fuck up. Well, I'll be honest. That was probably a good thing that we, not on that one. We can't. We yeah, can't. I, I, I sit back and think sometimes if I didn't fire him and put Tony in place of him, where we would have been. Devastating. Yeah, because he was a weak fucker. And, yeah. you know, Tony is as dry as Tony is. I love him. <laughs> to death. Man, I love him. He's just, he's one of those guys. He's a one-in-a-lifetime person that you yeah. meet. But, you know, he, he came out there with balls of fire. Yeah. And he never, ever strayed from asking a question. Okay, we're doing this op. Like, our very yeah, first he got, one. Yeah, he got thrown into something that was almost above his head at the way, time. Yeah, way yeah. above. Way above. And he, he grew quick. Had to. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, good on to Davis and, and Phil for yeah. taking him under his wing and kind of helping him out. Because he was overwhelmed. Yeah. First, first two missions. How do you not? Yeah. How do hey, you not? Here, here's a brand new platoon you've only been with for less than a month. And they're month. all babies. Yeah, yeah. All right out of BRC. You know, and to take that platoon and do the things that your platoon did down there, the accolades were, I mean, the yeah. entire, co my company, we did well. You did. That's all I'm going to say. And it wasn't because of me or Kevin Brew, it's because the guys below us. You know, they were they were super platoon stars. We had great team leaders. But there was a camaraderie. It wasn't though. even that. Like, I'm thinking about my platoon. Like, we had guys, like, the slackmen in our platoon were something looking back i'm just like blown away at the caliber of yeah. of men that we had in there i mean absolutely just mind-blowing no and the good thing is that you, it allows like for me and my further my career is you could look back on those things and see what type of individuals like that like the shane was another one that guy oh, was just an that was the first person i was thinking about remington to shane yeah it's like this guy who is this kid you yeah know, he's a fucking beast and what's funny is he never gave me shit not a single bit. Everybody else, he'd fucking throw through a wall. He's a big boy. Yeah. And I'd be like, ah, if he comes in there, I'll have to shoot this motherfucker or hit him with a baseball bat. But I mean, just like that Ernst, I thought was a fucking, anybody can sit and learn the language. I've talked, less than I've a talked week. about Ernst. Uh, I've talked about Ernst a lot on podcasts. Oh, do you? Yeah. He's like, he's a, Ernst was a borderline serial killer. <laughs> well, the, the very first, that thing where you and um, your team, we were up by the six ring, oh, that 
Cloverly, we're at that yeah, army yeah. base. Mm-hmm. You guys got in that big bass firefight, uh-huh. and Ertz finally got to use that was a Mark Twelve that we gave M- him. M One Ten. Well, it's called the M One Ten Sat Mark Eleven. Mark Eleven. That's it was what Mark was. Eleven back then. Yeah. <clears throat> Showing pictures, I'm like, what? Well, he said, I, I think it was 300 meters. And he On was, the move. yeah, he's so happy. I was like, dude, that's fucking great. But For those of you who don't know, this this guy, he's a, he's a grown grown ass man now, but I, I <laughs> he was a kid then, I guess. It was. He uh, he was a radio operator. He was a recon radio operator. Yep. And he's so much of a nerd. He, we got those Mark 11s. He read he read the manual yep. on the scope and the gun, and basically that was it. Yeah, he completely read the manual like it was a novel. Yep. Learned everything about the manual, and then smoked some dude egressing from an IED site at uh, like 300 yards out of a truck. It, it was like he got his first bicycle or he yeah. got his first <laughs> yeah. present or something. It's like he come in. It's like top. You got to see this. And he shows me the pictures. I'm like. Okay, this is a little morbid, but okay, okay, I get it. And he explained it to me, like, hey, good on you. But I mean, he also learned a language in less than yeah. two weeks. Yep. I mean, he's, I, I, he, he spoke, he was our basically our, in two weeks, he was basically our like resident on site interpreter. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He knew all the key phrases to ask. Yep. And the, t- the two interpreters, we had two out of the four I thought were phenomenal. Yeah. I can't remember the one. Well, um, one was a, uh, what was, he was a Kurd, the big, the big guy. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so he, his family had been, a bunch of his family was murdered up north when Saddam yeah. gassed them all. So he was a little, yeah. he was a little extra. <clears throat> it was funny because we weren't allowed to give him guns. Uh, we well, had the one turt with us the one time. I was like, hey, here you go. Gave him an AK. I said, whatever you do, don't stand behind me. Stand alongside of me. So I don't want you fucking shoot me in the head. But yeah, it's, um, he was just a he always thrived to get education. He he yeah. had to learn. He had to learn everything. And I would ask him. I said, "How do you, how do you do it?" Because I I tried to learn the language for like two minutes. I'm like, "Fuck, dude, I can't even speak English. You want me to speak a foreign language for Christ's yeah. sakes?" I know habla español. No, yeah, no shit. So at the end of the day, it's just you know, again, the caliber of guys that I was exposed to through my 26 year career, yeah. and the, the people that were in charge of me gave me the foundations that I used through my career. Yeah, and especially when I picked up master guns, I'm like, I'm at the top of the food chain. You guys use my rank as a whore, a whore coin. Yeah, you get in any trouble now if you're fucking wrong and you you, you fucked up. I'm gonna I'm gonna have your ass. Yeah. And everybody knew that. Everybody, yeah. so they were. I never had to worry about it. But yeah, I, I'd go chew out sergeant majors for chewing out my guys in line. You know, it's Chow Hall, especially at Stone Bay. Oh, they're all dirty and all stuff. But yeah, we're actually working. <laughs> we're actually doing training here. So. Take your happy ass out and get the fuck. You out had of my here. back in Iraq. I don't even remember that. We got out. Of, my team got out of patrol. To the Chow Hall. We went to the Chow Hall. I got yelled at by some sort, but it wasn't our. It wasn't our base. We were at uh, what was the the base across the river, across on the other side of, of Fallujah. I don't remember. I don't top of my head. I don't. I, I have an idea what you're talking. about. Is everybody at train tracks? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. The grunt unit was over there. Yeah. So yeah. I was in, I was walking, we had just got out of patrol. It was just my, my team. We had been in the field for, I don't even know, like we were fucked up looking, but we hadn't eaten. Right. And so we went and like washed our hands and cleaned up as best we could. Sergeant major lost his shit on me. And I basically told him to fuck off. I was like, listen, my guys are going to go eat. And it was like a bougie ass chow hall. They had like dessert circles and all kinds <laughs> of shit in there. I was like, we're definitely crushing all of this. Yeah, we're eating here like today. pasta buffet, pizza buffet, yeah. you know. And he like he lost it and was like trying to figure out who like who we worked for. And I remember you were like, don't like it got to it got to the command. Which I think somebody in the command did have a hard on for it, but whatever. But you came to you and you you told me, he said, Don't worry about it. 
Nope. Done deal. Well, that's like when, um, when we were in Fallujah one time, I guess it was uh, Tony's guys came back. I met him at the chow hall. It just got back from the, our two, um, engineers, engineers. Yeah. You know, these guys are out. I think it was like almost 12 to 18 hours picking yeah. up body parts. Yeah. And they were crushed. You could see it. Their the morale. They oh, were crushed. horrible. Man. That's a horrible. Yeah. Got him in the chow hall and the sergeant major and he's just barking. He's yelling at Tony and everything. And, you know, I'm a mass sergeant. And I walk up. I say, is there, is there an issue here? And he goes, oh, these guys are all blah, blah. And I just very calmly said, Sergeant Major, you need to fuck off and walk away. Yeah. These guys just got done picking up two of their best friends for the past 12 hours. These guys are going to go in this chow hall. They're going to eat. When they're done, they will go back to the battalion area, and they will clean up appropriately like they're supposed to. They washed their hands. They made yeah, sure yeah. they didn't have blood all over their damn yeah. hands. I said, they are going to eat. And he says, who do you think you are? I said, well, I'm the guy that's going to allow them to eat and then kick your ass for running your mouth. And kind of find out, the sergeant major came to Pickering. So I went down to the office, and I told her, I said, I'm not even going to talk to this fucking clown. The day you criticize my Marines yeah. for eating chow is the day that you die in my spot. Yeah. You just, just fuck off, dude. And I was walking out, and you know Pick. Yeah. He's, he's very political. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, my Sergeant Stuber, we got to do I said, no, Sergeant Major, this guy's no. a punk. Yeah. He's a fucking bitch. This is what I'm talking about, about you E9 Sergeant Majors. You're worthless. We're in, we're in combat for Christ's yeah. sakes. These guys just got back from picking up body parts and you're going to bitch at them for getting chow. Yeah. Dude, no, go back to your pogue fucking post and stay there. Bitch at your Marines for not having blouse boots and their, their camis are good. Don't bitch these guys cause they're in flight suits and they got a little bit of blood on them. Stop. Welcome to the show. Yeah, asshole. Like, we're, I'm sorry. Did I, we're in Iraq. Are we not? We're in the middle of a combat zone. It's yeah. where we're at. And this happens to be our safe haven. We should be able to do whatever the hell we want in this safe haven. Yeah. So I wasn't too lucky by that Sergeant Major the rest of the tour. But again, I didn't give a shit because no. my boys were taken care of. I was all, I didn't give a shit about nothing else but you guys. That's all I cared about. I mean, I stay up two, three and, days and, straight. And Nick trimming his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> some some sort of people had with regulations within the Marine Corps thinking, well, I'm in combat. What's the big deal? <laughs> uh, we were all doing it. Remember yeah. Phil's? <laughs> Like, what the fuck? I think we, I think we all had some decent uh, mustaches <laughs> going for the longest time. And then when I was corrected, I was like, ah, fuck, I'll just shave mine off. But That's what thing. you said. You are like, just, Nick, just shave that shit off. Yeah, I'm like, no, man. Just be done. It's, it's a my, purpose. It's my fucking combat mustache. <laughs> <laughs> just, I have a purpose here. It's a part of my garb. <laughs> so yeah. When I suit up, I'm like, okay, let me, let me check out the stash. Yeah, it looks good. I want to trim it a little bit. But again, two people get around the axle about stupid little shit. You're... You're in the middle of a combat zone, and you, these kids are just trying to eat, and you're being a and dick about and it. And survive. Yeah, and, and keep not, their friends alive. Yeah. yeah, they're not doing nothing wrong. Okay, because no. they don't look presentable. They're not in a fucking five-star restaurant. Okay, I get it. But you know what? Tough shit, dude. Because here's how it's going to go. Yeah. I was even worse, though, when I picked up Master Guns. Because unless you had a star in your collar, you didn't talk to me as an officer. That's awesome, man. Period. You know, you walk in my office at schoolhouse, had a colonel walk in. He was bitching, complaining. I was like, sir, can I help you? You're master gun steward. I'm like, yes, I am. He goes, you know, you dropped two of my guys. Well, it's probably for a reason. Who are your two guys? And he starts yelling. I says, stop. Take your happy ass. Get out, sir. Go see the general. He's my boss. He's a two-star. Sits up on the hill there. Go talk to him about this because I don't have time to listen to you. And I went back down. He starts. So you have two options. Get out of my fucking office or I'll call the general myself. And if he's got to come down here, I don't think he's going to be very happy about yeah, that. No he kidding. might want to. So he went and saw LeFevre. And LeFevre came down with him. And asked me the questions, and I gave him the answers. Yeah. Well, he's like, why did you? T-? I said, you came in here like a flaming ass bag saying, you will do this. And you, no, I don't work for you. You don't write my fitness report. Oh, what are you? <laughs> I'm a master guns. What are you going to do? 
bust me for telling you to get out of my office? Are you sitting me? He's like, well, like I said, your, your two guys you sent over here sucked, period. They yeah. were very weak. They quit. We didn't make them quit. They quit. They rang the bell, and it was time for them to go. Because not everybody's – if everybody could do our job, everybody would be doing it. Yeah. Not everybody can. So that, Just accept that. that. That brings up a good point. I'm going to talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a separate video for it. But when I was going through ARS or RIP in general, but I remember specifically in ARS because I was in that – kind of like you, I, I hit that sweet spot in my career where – if I didn't graduate, I had already lost my boat space to my prior MOS. Right. So it was either graduate and lat move or I was done. Yeah. Or maybe the Marine Corps could have figured something out. But, I mean, I'm a sergeant. Yeah. You know. So I was like, I'm going to fucking die here or I'm going to graduate. Yeah. And I don't think people understand the mental decision that you're making in training. Of how, and, and how physically and mentally difficult that training is. I don't think kids really understand until you've done it. No, and I, th I think there's no human being out there unless you push your body to its max to figure out what your breaking point. We all have breaking points. Of course. Everybody, everybody said, oh, I, no, no. Every, every human being has a breaking point. Yeah. It's just figuring out that part. When they talk, you know, when you go to SEER school, uh, they talk about those things. What is your breaking point? Well, unless you push your body to where it's you won't know. just goes out or pass out, you're never going to know. You need to know because shit can get bad. And if it gets really bad, you need to be able to sit there and figure that out. Yeah. Because if you don't, who are you helping? You're not helping nobody. Like for me, I, my thing is I have to be strong enough or willing enough to take care of my family mm. now. Even I'm an old dude and I'm broken as shit, I still do that. And yeah. I, even my friends around me, you know, guys like yourself, I don't take shit that people talk shit. You know, I just don't, I don't appreciate it. It yeah. just, to me, it makes no sense to, to badger somebody because I don't know, you don't like them. Okay. <laughs> so again, do you sleep with me and pay me? No, you don't. So I don't really care what you think of me. Yeah. You know, and, and like I have, I probably have like 20 close friends that I will go to battle for. That's just the way it is. And then I have some other ones, you know, a good acquaintances that I would do the same for, but yeah, you need to push yourself. You, you, yeah, you make it all the time. What, what is your purpose in life? Yeah. Why are you here? Why are you existing? Well, in that time for me, that was it. I was like, I have, yeah. I will, I'm either going to drop dead on this road with this freaking rock on my back or I'm going to make it. Yeah. But there's no quit. The, yeah. It's either die yeah. and get the silver bullet by the yeah. dock later on. Yeah. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to cross the finish line and I'm going to graduate. Yeah, I, I agree. And you have to, again, you have to push your body. You got to push yourself, yeah. both mind and body. I tell everybody, I have a 25-year-old mind. Yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little kid. Hand, ask my wife. I'm a little kid. But from my neck down, that bitch is 95. But I was going to say, I think you've gotten younger as you've gotten older. I ask my wife. She'll say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do stupid shit at the house. I'll, I'll go jump in the pool for no reason at all. You know, I'll be sitting there playing with the grandkid yeah. and just do stupid shit with him. I'll be rolling. And I shouldn't be doing tumble rolls or anything like to help him out on the floor. Cause it hurts like hell when I get, when I do that little tumble and try to get up off the floor. Now I'm like, I need like pull up bars and shit <laughs> to get my ass up. But no, I have a 25 year old mentality. I really yeah. do. I mean, I believe I can do still do anything that I used to be able to do until I do it. And then my body says, Hey, dumbass, you can't do this. That hurts. Yeah. Real bad. Yeah. But that's no, nothing. With little, little growth hormones. Some stem cells don't get fixed. I'll take them. Yeah. Where, where are they at? You got them here? Yeah, I, got, I got a guy. I got a guy. You know a guy. <laughs> I, know I, a guy. I know a guy. I know a guy. <laughs> but again, today, today, and this goes back to a, 
a question that was asked to me years ago. What do you think is different today than it was 40 years ago? The amount of food that we take in our bodies, Yeah. first off. And from that food, depending on where you get it from, the amount of nutrients or byproducts that are in those to conserve them so they last two years. Mm-hmm. That's where the issue is. My grandparents, they used ivory soap to brush their teeth every single day. They didn't use toothbrushes or toothpaste. That's what they used. Never had a cavity. They ate bacon and eggs every morning, and my grandmother would always have the bacon grease. And that's what she oh, used yeah, for yeah. everything. Yeah. My father, my grandfather at night would eat a gallon of ice cream with his grandkids and smoke a cigar. He lived till he was 68. And the reason he died is he went and got a physical and found pancreatic cancer. Mm. And because they found it, when they went to open them up, everybody doesn't know this. If you have cancer in your body, it's not exposed to air. The spreading doesn't spread as, as quick as it does or metastasize as fast as it does. As soon as it hits air, it metastasizes. It just goes ballistic because it's received the nutrients it needs air. And he died within six weeks. Fuck. But, I mean, he, he lived life the way life was supposed to be. He drank, he ate whatever he wanted because there wasn't all this preservative shit in our food. It was all natural. Now, I None mean. None of our food is natural no. unless you're, it, you have to pay and seek. You have to go find it. Yeah, you do. You really unless you have your own it. farm, growing your own yeah. vegetables, and killing your own meat. Yeah. Period. That's the way it is. You know, and unfortunately, that's where we're at today, the society. I wonder why our obesity. Well, let's be honest. You know, I, I love Wendy's hamburgers <laughs> and their french fries. Hands down, we'll do it in a heartbeat. Stu, they're not good for you. I know. They, they, <laughs> they're killing you. Not only killing me, but I don't do it that often. I'll do it once in a while just to preserve my body. A lot has changed. The, 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 look, at, look at just the uh, physical movement of a, of a young man, what it used to be, even 20, even my, my time, you know, in the 80s, 90s as a, as a kid versus now. Yeah. They don't move. Well, look at two. Look at Mars. All special forces, it's say SOCOM, has a program to help their athletes because they're mm-hmm. professional athletes. Yeah. Help them recover and help them build yeah. accordingly. If we had had that when I first came into the Marine Corps, oh, shit. you know, all the way up to this point, you I probably wouldn't be as bad as I am now. No. I mean, that was even, and Josh and I talk about that all the time. It's like, we, they've really just got that on the tail end of us. We were, yeah. it showed up as we were, as we were leaving. And, we were like, oh, that must be nice. No, I, yeah. I did it the fucking stupid way. I did it your way. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can do this faster. Just more. do it harder and more. Yeah. <laughs> you, you tweak your shoulder like, ah, screw it. Just push through it and then you go fine. Yeah, you have a torn labrum and your bicep tendon is ruptured. And it's been that way for eight years. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, my second tour to Iraq, I ruptured my tri- my bicep. I remember that. Yeah. And I'm at the hospital. Thank God. Dana Offer, if you listen, I love you. I will marry you when you divorce. <laughs> they actually said that you will, you're not going to Iraq. And I told him, I am going to Iraq because I was flying out the next day. Mm-hmm. I am going to Iraq. It's a personal thing. I'm a master sergeant taking a battalion to combat. As a yeah. battalion ops chief, I'm not passing that shit up. Not even close. They literally pushed my bicep back up to a point where they ace banished it. And Donifer, I don't remember flying to Iraq. I have no clue. I got on a plane in Kadena. So it wasn't, it wasn't attached? No, it detached. It sat right here. When so, did you get it attached? When I got back. Did you do the whole deployment with yeah. that? Yeah, I worked out. I came back leaner uh, than I was before I went, and I was in pretty good shape before I left. Yeah, <laughs> I came back leaner. So I went to go do the surgery. The doctor's like, how in the hell did you do this? I said, you gave me some pain pills. I taped it up for that two weeks you told me to. I took it off and started doing pull-ups and push-ups and stuff. And then they reattached it later. Yeah, then went back and reattached it. Oh, shit. Man. It's like still. Hey, I have a Popeye. I have, it's attached right here. Yeah. Yeah. But same with this one. I ruptured, I ruptured both triceps. 
both biceps, both shoulders have been repaired four times each. I have a plate in my neck. I have my knee replaced twice. I've rebuilt my thumb, and they rebuilt my elbow. That's just in the Marine Corps. Damn. <laughs> but I'm fine. I feel like you just need you just need to start replacing you with, like, enhanced cyborg parts. Well, my wife now got me this new, um, it's called Oil IV. Yeah. So it's a bag that I put on my top of my bed. So when I wake up in the morning, I just tap into my pick line. It puts oil through my body so it can, <laughs> so it can move around. Yeah. So I told somebody that once. I said, they're like, where's your pick line at? I said, it's right there. See it? I'm like, no. Oh, you're joking. Well, yeah, I'm joking. What do you think? I get up in the morning and, and put freaking oil in my damn body? In my- change out my, uh, my, my gyros. Yeah, I can't change the tires. The engine's already shot, so it doesn't yeah. matter there. It's just maintaining it, you know, this classic uh, vehicle I got going on here. So how do they, uh, how do they find this podcast? Espeto? Yeah. Uh, gentleman named Dan Sharp. Okay. Uh, had it, he, opened, he started, I think it was 2016, I think-ish. He started. Guy's brilliant. He can write his butt off, something I can't do. Um, so he was using it as an outlet for, you know, veterans as well. Yeah. But also, too, to have some raunchiness in there and tell some, you know, raunchy have, stories like we do. Have some, have some fun. Have some fun with it, yeah, yeah. But also put an awareness to it. So Espeto saw it and, and said, hey, let's. Let's buy this company and let's bring somebody on that is older. Yeah. That's a little bit more experienced, but it's not as brilliant as Dan. <laughs> so guess who they picked me? <laughs> Cause I, I can talk to anybody. I never met a stranger. And what their thing is that we're trying to do awareness as well. Okay. So anything that has to do with the first responders or the military, that, like I said, the pillars, the five pillars is give awareness and help the transition piece. Because yeah. at the end of the day, no matter what thing you're into, to transition from that job to something new or to retirement. It's an identity shift. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's weird how you go from 100 miles an hour, and you say, ah, oh, it can't happen to me. I'm here to tell you. It happens yeah, to sure, you. Yeah, sure, bud. You know, at the end of the day, because you don't have a purpose. You know, that's where the why comes in. What do I do now? Why am I here? What's, what's my purpose now? And find yeah. your purpose. It took me a while. When I got out of the Marine Corps. Well, yeah, and the reason what happens is if you don't know that, then you're seeking pleasure. You're trying to feel good. And yeah. anytime you just, you know. You ruin your whole family. You're going to ruin your whole family. And that's what people miss is that if you got an issue and if your spouse, I don't give a shit your male or female, your spouse says something to you. Yeah. Like, hey, you're, you're getting meaner. You're getting, like for my thing is you're being very condescending. You yeah. know, why are you doing it? And I'm like, I, I'm not. And then when they tape you during that point of that conversation, you think you're not doing stupid shit and you yeah. listen to it, you're going, Hey, honey, I apologize. I'm an asshole. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't realize I was being that much of a clown. Yeah. And it wasn't for my wife telling me that and taping me because, you know, she knows who I am and saying, here's what you are now. I said, I don't like that person. No. Yeah. That's when I went in the mirror and smiled at myself and said, hey, yeah, let's go, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm ready to go now. But it's, you have to have that. Yes. If no one gives you, if you're around the people that will not give you criticism and you don't accept it. That's all I say it all the time. You're a fucking idiot. Like why, if I care about you, why would I not hold you accountable? Why can't I be honest with you? Yeah. If there's something like, hey, Nick. I, well, I'm Because I'm going to hurt your feelings? Yeah. I don't like the way your beard is trimmed down the right way. Okay. Okay. But the point is, you have a lot of pe- successful people that yeah. have yes people around them. You yeah. cannot have yes people. You have to have a couple no people around you yeah. that you trust. You know, a lot of these clowns out there are, are making it big on you know, social media and other things. They have all yes people around them. They're not telling you you're jacked up like two football bats. Yeah. And that's the problem with today. Be honest with people. If you're jacked up, tell them they're jacked up. Because at the end of the day, you might do something stupid that's going to affect everybody across the board and not know it. And that's going to hurt. Because then you're left with 
Well, you know, I think Not- maybe 30, 20, 30 years ago, maybe, maybe more than 20 years ago, we definitely had a community of men that would hold other men accountable. And now everyone's very, well, it's none of my business. I'm going to stay out of it. They feel like they're on eggshells. Yeah. I can't say none. No, you can. You can. You know, stand, if you can, if you, if you, if you don't care about them, then no, yeah. don't. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you anything. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste my breath. Yeah. But if I care about you, then I'm going to be like, hey, dude, you're fucking up and you need to get your shit together. And sometimes that hard loving is the best loving you can get. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that's what's good about a spetto is they're seeing the, I wouldn't say issues or problems, but they see the, the way things are going right now in the climate, whether yeah. it's political religion or just anything else. And they're trying to figure out, okay, how can we get involved to help? We're not trying to change nothing. We're just trying to give you outlets to help you. Cause if you could do that, I mean, you've been very successful doing it. That's what your business is. Yeah. It's helping individuals be their best that they can best be. They can be. So but it's not, it's not even for them. No. It's for the people around them. Yes, exactly. And that's the thing. It, I think I'm a very good guy. I'm a great yeah. guy. But there's people around me who don't think that so much. Okay, well, I need to then change something or, or fix something. I don't think it's broken, but fix something to make it so everybody is good. Yeah. Because the end of the day, I don't care what you think about me. I don't. Because when I die, I'm at peace. Because I, I know what I've done up to this point. I could die today and be happy because I've done everything I've tried to do, I've done for myself and others yeah. to make sure everybody else is successful around me. If it has to be for me, taking a bow or something like that, well, then I'll do it. But you got to make sure that you're happy with yourself. You can't love nobody if you don't love yourself. And that all comes from internal anyway. No no one's going to make you happy. No. No. You can have the best wife or the best girlfriend. Yeah, be unhappy. That's why I understand. I see sometimes I got a a buddy of mine, good dude. He's just a dick, but he's a good dude. He's got a, a gorgeous wife, makes great money. I mean, she's the breadwinner in the family. And he divorced her because he was not going to wear an apron. I was like, dude, what are you talking about? I would have a thong on, an apron, dinner would yeah. be ready, flowers. I'd give her a massage at night, massage her feet. Because you know what? She's supplying for us. My job now is to make sure she's taken care of. I can't do that. Men don't do that. No, dumbasses, men don't do that. Real men will stand up to take the, take the challenge. I would do it in a heartbeat. Again, this goes back again. Your ego and pride is keeping you in the way of progress. Yeah. I can let that shit go, man. Yeah, you don't. What, the fuck? what a fucking waste. You know, like... The thing is, I tell everybody, I can usually pick out a guy who's in special forces or has done something special in their life with either law enforcement or military. Yeah. You can see it in their eyes. And guys have been downrange. You can definitely tell they were downrange just because of the gleam they have in their eye. There's something about it. They're like, how can you do that? It's easy. You just look at them and talk to them. And their mannerisms, the way they conduct themselves in front of you will let you know if they've done something special in their life. And for me, I just think it's, I don't know, it's a kind of a trait. I, got, I can usually pick that out. Like, that's why I hate SHOT Show. <laughs> you know, is that, say, is that still a thing? Yeah, I'll be going there this year. I'm sorry. We're going to do we're gonna do a couple live podcasts out there. So if oh, you're okay. out there, you need to come and see me anyway. That's why I tell people when they ask, what do you do for a living in the Marine Corps? A culinary art specialist. I was a cook. <laughs> because as soon as you venture out and say, yeah, I was a, a recon guy my entire career. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm with the 82nd Airborne Ranger Sniper guys. What the fuck does that mean to begin with? You know? You know, that's the whole piece is that, I don't need to give you my accolades. If you can't talk to me like a man, to me as a man, I don't want to hear your story. I had one, uh, last time I went to the SHOT Show was three years ago. This guy came up all garb. So he's got the 511 jeans on, the boots, you know, and all the quick release shit and all that crap. And There. Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. He comes up to our booth. It's me and this 
great guy, Tom Smith. I, I love him to death. He's that guy's got some stories. SF cat. It was he was a second recon second force back in the day. Mm-hmm. Got out. They traded in blues a, for greens. There's a lot of guys that did that yeah. back I, then. Yeah. I wonder why. Yeah. I, sh- I probably would have did it if I was going to drill school. But uh, first thing he says to us is like, so what you guys do in the military? Tom Smith walks off and leaves me standing there. I'm like, you fucker. I said, I, I, was, a, I was a cook in the Marine Corps. Oh, really? So you, you know this gear? I said, well, yeah, I read about it. And, I, you know, I kind of seen it on TV. And I play Halo. And I stayed at the Hollywood Express last night. So I'm pretty versed on this gear. Why? Because, well, he's starting to throw these lingo stuff out of me. And I, right away, I knew that he was not in any of those units. Yeah. Just the way he was talking. And I just finally put my head down. I said, dude, you need to shut the fuck up because you're worthless. So what you do in the, the Army? I, I was in the Ranger Battalion. Okay, what Ranger Bat, blah, blah, blah. So I said, no, there's, it's impossible. There's nobody, you will not be in any special forces in any military whatsoever. You don't have the look or the heart. Yeah. You're that guy that follows somebody's coattails. You're a follower. You're not a leader. You got to be First of all, most, if you're a ranger, you're walking in probably shorts, flip-flops, and a, and a T-shirt, exactly. maybe a tank top at SHOT Show. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're not going to run your mouth and say, I was no. this, that, and the other thing. No, you're trying to get out of SHOT Show yeah. is what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. where's the fucking door to this yeah. place? <laughs> where's, what party is tonight? I'm going to what party? Yeah. yeah. I'm heading over to, uh, you know, Black uh, Point Blank's party today or HESCO or whatever. Yeah. It is. But Who's yeah. got the weed here? That's <laughs> Yeah. Where's the dispensary at? That's the first yeah. thing I hit when I hit this, get in Vegas, I hit the dispensary. But no, it's just like, why do, you, why do you have to say that? Why do you have to put yourself bigger than what you are? You're not impressing me because I can't do shit for you. I'm not going to write yeah, you a yeah. check to go party somewhere. It's just not happening. So yeah. what, what's the purpose for this? You know, I tell everybody, I hear more recon snipers than I've ever heard in my entire life. And the fact is that since like the mid-90s till present, there's only been 312 recon Marines that are sniper qualified. Oh, shit. Yeah. So there's thousands of people that are recon snipers. There's no such fucking thing. You're a reconnaissance Marine and went to sniper school. Yeah. Or you're a reconnaissance guy or a MARSOC guy that went to the schools. You're not. As soon as you tell me, I I went to. uh, Nobody would ever say that. No. Nobody's going to walk up and be like, I'm this. So when you went to uh, the school to get your bubble, what's that called? Dive school. Dive school. You call it scuba school? No. No. So you tell me you went to scuba school. I know you're full of fucking shit. And this guy's like, yeah, I went in uh, Pearl Harbor. What year? Oh, 99, 2002. Nope, you're full of shit. You closed no. in 96. And I'm telling you right now, he didn't fucking go to scuba school there. Scuba school. And they're like, then, uh, yeah, I was at, I was at uh, parachuting school. No what? one that went to jump school says parachuting school. I don't give a fuck who you are. You just don't. There's, there's key words that these clowns say that are wrong. And guys like me are going to pick it up in a heartbeat. And I'm super nice in the beginning until you start really getting under my last skin. Why do you even want to deal with stuff like that? It makes them bigger than they are. And I, I, I've been told, and this is pretty probably true, because I did that my entire career, I think I'm better than the person I'm sitting in front of. So why would I do that? My career was my career. It benefited me and me only. Oh, my yeah. family too. But, you know, it, why would I have to go out and, Preach that to everybody. Like Robert Abbas, the owners of Espeto. These kids, I'm sorry, Robert Abbas, I call you kids. They're the same age as my son, so I call them kids. Yeah, yeah. They're brilliant. I've never met two businessmen in my entire That's life awesome. as brilliant as these two because they look at everything on the ground like, they're, like you with your team. They're interactive with their team. They talk to them. They find out what's going on. They allow them to speak their piece. Yeah. And they figure what the industry is doing, how they can fix it when they come out with their quick release system. People were all against it. Oh, that about it was brilliant the way they did it because our emergency procedures are one way. We do for everything. Yeah. It's out and away. We pull it out. 
and away from our body. Yeah. That's why their quick release system works. Because they listen to the end users and everybody else. Now they went from the tactical side to technical. So they're doing the cybersecurity. They're doing the Intel stuff. They're doing all that because they see what the dynamics is for them as a company that they have to grow that way. Yeah. And that's the thing with this podcast that they, they want me to do is um, it allows us just to put a message out across the board. You know, tell, tell some good stories and talk to some great people. But again, but put that piece out there to let them know that there's somebody out there that's listening to you. All you got to do is respond. Yeah. Just respond back. And we can help you transition. For me, it's because I know you so well. If I have people like that, I can always refer them after yeah. I talk to you first. This direction. Because this is your forte. Yeah. I'm just a guy in the middle that's just putting out a message. That is it. You know, and so I don't need to prove myself to nobody. Just you? No, you definitely do not need to prove yourself to anyone. <laughs> that's what I say. And anybody that ever thinks that is a fucking idiot. I know. And, but I get it, though. I get it a lot. Why can't you tell people what you do for a living? Because it's none of your fucking business, dude. I don't, for me to tell you my accolades, first, I can't, it's hard for me to talk about myself in that type of light. Yeah. But secondly, it's no concern of yours. You had no, you had no impact on my career whatsoever. And right now, talking shit. That's yeah. totally wrong. That's the only thing you yeah. have right now. I'm not going to entertain it. Just won't do it. Uh, life's, life's too short, man. Life's, life's too short, and I had too many people around me that loved me. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. And, you know, the, the part from my lowest point, nearly killing myself, it's just if it wasn't good friends of mine that were at the table at the time, yeah. I wouldn't be sitting here. And that's just the reality. You know, I'm a strong individual. I am. Yeah. But you know what? I just have my breaking point, too. It just gets to that point. You, you, know, you said everybody does. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. part of my background is just you can't figure out when the wall falls in, those two walls just kind of collapsing on you. You're like, shit, how did this happen? When and what's, going so here's well, what's but, really shitty is everybody thinks they're a unique little butterfly going through their own little own little world of hurt. No. It's like, no. dude. <laughs> you have no idea. You're fucking everybody. Like, welcome to the show, son. Yeah, you know no shit. I mean? Take like, a front seat right here. Yeah. And that's and I think that's the worst part, right? The worst part is people think that it's isolated to themselves. Yeah. No, oh, you don't understand. No, dude, you're not special. Welcome to the show. Everybody's dealing with it. Yeah. Stop being a bitch and start talking to people. That's a key. Talk about it. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Why? Why? Because you're a dude. Your best friend's probably going through the same thing yeah. and you guys aren't even talking about it. Yeah. It was crazy, man. I talked to uh when I got out, you know, because we, you know, I went through the whole Iraq thing. Yep. And then we, I just moved on. And then I moved on again and moved on again. And then finally I got out, you know, years later, almost six years later, I got out and I started having some weird things started happening. And so I called Tony Kano. Yeah. I said, Hey dude, this is going to sound weird. I saw this and you know, I thought I saw Gary Johnson. Right. Um, like in a crowd, like I started picturing him. Really? Yeah. Like physically like yeah. there, like I, I would walk Very past vivid. something. Yeah. And he'd be standing there and I'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so I started seeing that and, and maybe it was just, maybe it was starting to catch up and it was just on my mind and those sort of, all the things that had happened. Yeah, time to think. Yeah. Cause it, I just, we all just moved on. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it stops. And that's where I talk about in the book where it's like, you know, you're moving 300 miles an hour and you get out and it's like, <laughs> done. You're not even moving. You're not even moving. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, but all that, you know, like, it's like a train. The caboose is still going 300 miles an hour. It's going to hit you right in the back of the head. So I called him. I'm like, dude, this is some weird shit, man. I'm trying to like kind of process it and struggling. And he goes, bro, welcome to the fucking show. Your whole platoon, because, you know, all those young guys, a lot of them got out afterwards. Yeah, Yeah, they did. He said, dude, guys have been dealing with this shit for years. Yeah. You don't know. I don't know. Yeah. 
And I'm hoping that our guys are smart enough because there's enough people that were around them in their career yeah. and after that they can pick a phone up and call somebody. Yeah. You know, because at the well, end I of did. the day. I called Cam. Cam. Yeah. 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 I, see, I, I screwed up. I mean, my part was going through all these surgeries. I was on, yeah. hooked to oxycodone like it was no tomorrow. I was doing probably th- between 12 and 14 pills a day. Fuck. You know, I didn't dabble it in it. completely changes, like, everything. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I was delirious. There was yeah. things I was saying and doing, and I had no clue I was doing. And my wife, again, love her to death, would say, hey, dumbass, and show me pictures or, or recordings. And I'd be like, why didn't you slap me in the head when that happened? Yeah. I mean, that makes no damn sense. But, again, I had to be the, the prideful guy and make a phone call or two. That's what's good about Phil. You know, I go to see him once a month, so I got issues. Him and I will get shitty drunk and we'll solve the world's problems oh but, phil's phil's got t- tons of solutions right oh yeah so is ron neal ron ron, <laughs> ron neal the goon you know i talked to him quite a bit too i wanted to show you um so tony kano is a tier one client in the agogi is he really yeah he came on and he's he's how do you get so how many tiers do you have five tiers what's the lowest uh tier five. Oh, okay so it's a start. Oh, it's a start point. Yeah, Sweet. we actually haven't even launched Tier 5. Tier 5 is an app-based kind of program, low level. Like I want the hardest level you got. No. Tier 1. <laughs> it's expensive. Mm. Anyways, he came on. He came on. Um, well, actually, he started at Tier 4 and leveled his way up, and now he, him and his brother are both Tier 1 clients. But look at that shit. Holy shit. How fucking amazing is that? He only looks like the same dude. Yeah. His whole fucking life has changed. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And see, he's got a pair of shorts on with a shirt off. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's what we do. We go back to that, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just get back to, like, yeah. be getting naked. Yeah, take, <laughs> your, shirt, take your shit off. <laughs> That's just funny you say getting naked. I was at a party uh, a couple months ago, and we were having a good time, and everybody's like, you know, what can you do to make things more exciting? I'm like, why do I got to do something? Because we heard you're crazy. And I just met some of these guys the first time. I said, no, I just do what the normal dudes do when you're out partying with your buddies. Yeah. So I said, you know, fuck it. Took my shirt off, took my shoes off. I had a pair of shorts on, obviously. I got up on the table and I was just dancing. Now, you got this fat dude. I weighed, that time, I weighed about 315 pounds. At that Damn. Time. Yeah, I got the 315. I'm down to 265. More, more your normal. Close yeah. to your normal. I'd like to get down to 235. We're going to make that happen. You know, that's where my I'm gonna dig deep a little good, bit. Good fighting weight is. Yeah. But it's just weird how they looked at me because <laughs> I'm the wild one. I'm like, how out of all you guys, some of them were college kids too. You yeah. look at the old guy to be the wild one around here. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big flirt. You know, if I see some, these guys are talking about a hot chick, I'll just walk up to her and start talking to her, bring her to the table. I have nothing to do with her, but just, you know, to prove a point. Because they're all scared. Yeah. Yeah. What's she going to do to you? <laughs> Say no? <laughs> it's like, the old saying, you can ask 10 chicks. Hey, you want to fuck? At least one out of ten is going to say yes. You're going to get smacked a shitload of times, but you're going to get one that's going to say you're, yes. You're, you're going to win one yeah, time. One time. So until you get See? to that point. You got to fail nine times before you get to the success. Exactly. And yeah. that's the whole thing. You can't be scared to fail. Yeah. You, you got to do, you got to, you can't be afraid to make a mistake. Yeah. The catastrophic ones, yes. When you get to that point, and you, you, gotta, you might want to think a little bit before you make that decision. Yeah. It's going to be catastrophic at the end. But again, you can't go through life. What if? That's a big, what if I had done this? Well, what if, you know, machine, you know, grasshoppers have machine guns, birds wouldn't fuck with them. What yeah. if that happened? This isn't horseshoes. What, I mean, what do you mean by what if? What's this mean to me? What if that? So don't have the what if. Yeah. Just go do it. What if? Yes. Yes. What if? Yes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yes. I was going to, I was going to go join recom, you know. Oh my God. But, you know, I couldn't. You don't have to get down you know, that like, thing. 
What's that? Wish I had a dollar for every time yeah, I heard that. I, I would be rich. <laughs> I, mean, I was sitting in the Caribbean islands right now, my own fucking island, sitting there shooting the shit, drinking a beer. But no, it's again, it comes down to the, the core pieces that, of Nick Cumulato's is why am I here? What's my purpose? Yeah. Okay. And how do I be successful? Well, you got to fail in order to be successful. That's it. In order to do that, you listen to people like yourself that's been through that trial and tribulation and put your pieces out because you do. You're not afraid to put it out in the airs. Of here's where we were, here's where we are, and here's why. Yeah. You know, and people don't listen to that. And where are we going? Yeah. Yeah. So you got some fucking troll bitch saying something that doesn't even know who you are, just happens to know you by name, running their fucking mouth, and then I get pissed off. <laughs> I just go, okay. Yeah. Da 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 da. Okay. I'm like, classic, but no, this no, this stops here, bitches. I am not <laughs> listening to this bullshit no more. I, I love just, it. I just get um, it's, I get it on all fronts, man. Training, nutrition, military, talking about testosterone. They're like, oh, you're going to die from whatever. I'm like, okay. If you're taking steroids, you might. But t- yeah. the testosterone today, because I was on the programs, a couple programs throughout yeah. my, my life, they're very beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. If you're under the right guidance. Well, I think what people are talking about is like anabolic SARMs, steroids. Like yeah. the people that are like you know, 17 times the, the dosage that these bodybuilders do. Yeah, it's they're like, stacking their asses yeah, off. Like yeah. the, first of all, that those are medications meant for horses yes you know that's not what we it's not yeah. what we're, not what we're talking about yeah. you know but you know, whatever but i do i every time they say something either articulate yourself or i'm just gonna say okay okay yeah thank you for your algorithm push on my business <laughs> see people don't understand that no, they don't behind understand the scenes that. yeah i'm dogging nick kumaladas or i'm dogging Stu. no you're just making but my algorithms on the backside are saying dog the fuck out of me right now so there's a uh there's a company called lines not sheep the most baller ass move i've ever seen you ready for this yeah we can end the podcast on this baller ass move so they get they come under hot water about some about some stupid shit whatever i don't care i don't care if you if you know what i'm talking about i listen i don't give a fuck okay <laughs> this is not that's not the point so he got fined and some money and there was a bunch of press out there that's like writing articles about him getting fined. And so what does he do? He goes and puts, he goes, works with his ad buyer and in the article trashing him, he puts ads for all of his shit. No shit. In the articles trash him. That's perfect marketing. Fucking perfect. That's, that's, that's called brilliance. Right? Brilliant. Yeah. It and, is. and then like he posted the revenue that he got like that month. It's like through the fucking roof. And, and people are dogging him for doing that yeah. and he still continued doing it he's making money like, yeah it's like well bring it on and yeah, if you if you really truly hate somebody fucking ignore him yes know? ignore him or go see him face to face don't yeah. be a bitch online don't yeah. be that guy but well nick it was a pleasure yeah, to have you thanks. on i appreciate talking to me yeah. i hope we can do this again sometime absolutely soon because i know you're a busy dude i'm not i just i am extremely busy yeah i'm not i was i would have it no other way yeah but with that said you know smoke pit you can thank Nick Kumalaz and check him out on what platforms for your uh, all podcast? Of all of them. Yeah, all we're the same them. way. All of them. So whatever you want to stream, whatever your your streaming choice is, you're we're on. there. Yep. Yeah. That's what matters. So for the Smoke Pit, uh, our next guest here in a couple of days will be John Douglas from the Mine Hunters. Uh, we'll have an interview with him in the next couple of weeks. So until that time, I'm Stu, the Greybeard Veteran. <laughs> have a great day. And remember, you can't smile yourself in the mirror. Turn around and go back to bed. Right again. That's all I got.